Hey everybody, Matt Camp here with Deal Machine. Uh, we're proud to team up with Tom Zeeb here to give you guys a ton of free stuff. So our goal here is to give you the free toolkit to get out there and start finding off-market deals. Um, we're proud to say we're the highest rated and most reviewed app out there to go find off-market deals. And we've had over 10,000 deals done using the Deal Machine app. Now, when you download it, you can get it for free at tomzeeb.com slash dealmachine, and you'll get a seven-day free trial with that. And jumping into Deal Machine, you'll be able to go out there, start driving for dollars, start pulling lists, start finding the most motivated sellers in your market. And then you can start marketing to them directly. You can skip trace, you can send them postcards, you can knock on their door. There's a variety of things that we can help you out with using our technology. And then from there, you can actually evaluate the deals, You know, comp it, use our AI assistant to help you out there as well. You really to get the full toolkit to go from you know having no real estate experience to landing your first deal using technology. So it's tomzeeb.com slash deal machine for that free trial. With it, if you go through that link, you're going to get $30 free in marketing credits that cover a couple hundred free skip traces or 50 free postcards, give you everything that you need to start reaching out to sellers. So um, get out there and happy deal finding. You need to know how to talk to people. And if you can talk to people and make people relax around you, then they can believe in you. And if they believe in you, then they'll listen to what you have to say. If they're not sure about you, uh, it's kind of like if you go in and they don't get a good vibe from you in the beginning, it takes a lot of work before you can turn around and get them to believe in you a little later on. So the best thing to do is to, from the minute that you meet them, is to be very humble. Real estate negotiation is a mystery to most people. It doesn't come naturally and it isn't taught in school. Yet it's the key to getting what you want in business and life. If you're ready to learn the art and science of effective real estate negotiation and want to learn what it takes to become a successful real estate entrepreneur, then you're in the right place. This is the art and science of real estate negotiation with your host, founder of Traction Real Estate Mentors and president of the Traction Real Estate Investors Association, Tom Zeeb. Welcome back. It's Tom Z with the Art and Science of Real Estate Negotiation podcast. Very excited to be interviewing a fantastic investor in the Washington, D.C. area, David Hayes. David, how are you? I'm doing fine, Tom. How are you? Doing great. So, David, tell us a little bit about yourself, what kind of investing you do, how long you've been doing it, and where are you from? I've been playing around with investing since the late 80s. Believe it or not, I'm an old guy. <laughs> yeah. So, and back then it wasn't so much that I was investing, but I was fine tuning my craft, if I can say it that way. I took a lot of courses. I learned a lot of information. I think the very first course I purchased was a gentleman that, you know, I think a lot of people know, but for some reason his name is not coming up. I don't know why, but it'll come up sooner or later. But I took his course and it was a home study course, you know, one of those late night things. And I learned a lot, but I just didn't know how to put it into action. And over time, I knew I wanted to do something, but I didn't know what I wanted to do with real estate. And finally, I, I kind of got it. And once I got it, it was, it became a lot easier. And I'm not the person that is probably your atypical real estate investor. I don't do a lot of mailings and things like that, but I do a lot of word of mouth and that keeps me busy. So I've been doing it for a number of years. And when I came to Traction, I came to Traction because it was a, I had done a deal, a great deal. And I ran out of money. I didn't know where to get money. I didn't know how to find money. 
and I came to Traction and that was my purpose. And so through the years, I've learned how to make money and how to find money to the point where sometimes I can just pick up the phone and make a phone call. Very cool how that works. All right. Well, lots to unpack there. Let's start with something you said about how it suddenly started to click. Like you found, I think you were saying you found your niche. And once you found that, it clicked. So what was it that caused everything to click for you? Well, it was more, more so my back was up against the wall. I had a daughter who was college age, ready to go to college, and I didn't have the money. And I needed a, a way I could find money really fast to make sure she went to college and she didn't have to worry about finances. And lo and behold, I found a house, I renovated it, and I sold it for a lot more than I bought it for. So <laughs> it made all difference in the world. So if you do it once, you got to do it again. So I had to figure out ways of doing it again. Interesting. And did you, like going into a situation like that, did you have some doubts? I mean, did you think this is just late night TV garbage? Or, or I mean, what? that's kind of a lot's on the line. You had a great reason why to do it, but surely there must have been some doubt, David. There was some doubt. And one of the reasons why I had a lot of doubt was my dad. <laughs> I am my dad's son. And my dad come over and took a look at the house because he was doing investing in Baltimore. And this was a, a while back. And he came over and said, no, I wouldn't touch this. But we had already signed the contract and we were going through with it. And I actually am the one who wrote the contract and the person accepted it way back then. And yeah, so there was some doubt. You know, you always have doubt. But I bought it at a ridiculously low price. And so no matter what I did, I wasn't going to lose. I had to win some type of way with this product, with this property, because of the buy-in. So Carlton Sheets was the guy's name. Yes. Gotcha. Of course. Yeah. Of course it's Carlton Sheets. <laughs> I learned something from Carlton, and he says, if you buy correctly, you'll always make money. Yeah. If you buy correctly, you always make money. Now, since then, I've learned you have to buy correctly and you have to renovate correctly also. But yeah, buying correctly is a major part of it. Now, David, particularly with who you chose, I mean, a lot of people make fun of these late night TV gurus. I mean, yeah, sometimes they're caricatures of themselves, but a lot of people say it doesn't work. I tried it. It was a waste of money. What was the difference? Why did it work for you? What's the difference? It had to work for me. I had a daughter that was going to college. I didn't have a choice. I walked off the proverbial cliff and I had to fly. If I didn't fly, I was going to go splat. And a <laughs> lot of it doesn't work for people because they buy courses, they invest their money in education, but education is only part of the equation. You have to put action behind it. And if you don't put action behind it, nothing's going to happen. So, and, and a lot of times that inaction is because of fear. You know, we have fears, winning. What am I going to do if I won? You know, and I was really worried about that, which is really weird. I told you I'm, I'm not the typical guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. I think you're touching on something that other people have felt and maybe they don't always put a finger on it because it's an odd thing to say that I'm actually afraid of winning. So yeah, you're afraid of success. Can you explain your fear more? Oh, well, when you win, that means you have to make really, really good decisions because you don't want to lose what you want. So I guess the, the challenging time back then was, okay, if I go out here and I win, would I leave my job? You know, I have questions I have to answer then that I never had to answer when I was just 
I didn't have to worry about that. So now I have big questions. I have a new family back then. Am I going to be able to take care of my family? Things of that nature. So it, it may look like loss, but you know, I had to get to the point where I won before I could even get to the point of asking those questions. So it's all about timing, I guess. Interesting. Yeah, it's that fear of everything changing is crazy for people. And it, it does, it, it can do a mental number on you, right? It can wear yeah. you out mentally and it's hard. Absolutely. When did you quit your job? Were you working at that point? I left my job in 2000. Well, no, let me change it. My job left me in 2004. <laughs> well, it depends how you look at it. Yeah, my wife and I had just bought the house that we live in now. I was smart enough to purchase the house on one of our salaries versus having it on two. One of the areas that I was constantly going after were pre-foreclosures at that time. And so I wanted to make sure I didn't put myself in a pre-foreclosure state of mind or have that type of problem financially. So we did. We qualified on, on one salary, thank goodness. And we've been there ever since. But I think it's probably, I guess we just wanted to make sure that as I move forward, that I would be able to do something. And it was great to have my wife as a support system. When you're single and you do this, you don't have that. You may not have the support system, but I had the support system. And it was July the 4th when everybody was celebrating, drinking and eating and, you know, getting fat for the rest of the week. I was driving down to a city in Georgia, Valdosta, Georgia, just outside of Florida to go to an auction. And my plan was to drive down, go to the auction. I figured nobody would be there because everybody's, you know, hung over from the day before. <laughs> I was, was going to buy this property at the auction. I was going to get some neighborhood kids to clean it out. And I was going to give it to a realtor and tell them to sell it as is. Okay. And I figured I can make about $30,000 doing that. And I went down there and I went to the auction and it was about a hundred people there. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that day it didn't work out, but it was a good plan. It was a great plan. <laughs> And, and then I drove back. But that was my very first day of being a full-time investor. Interesting. And you focus primarily on rehabbing. Pretty much rehabbing, yeah. I mean, I do property management for several people. We own several pieces of property that I manage. But the moneymaker is rehab for us. Oh, for sure. And But you did something different recently. Is that correct? Yeah, I wanted to, I've always rehabbed and I would always, whenever I would find a property and I could thought I could work a good deal, I would keep it for myself. I would just do that because I knew there was a, a nice return on, on the back end. So I would always do it for myself. Now I knew about this thing, you probably know a little bit about it called wholesaling. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I came across well, a lady reached out to me. I was put in contact with the lady seven years ago. And I talked to her and I realized that she was not ready to sell. And then so I told her, I gave her my number and I said, you know, when you feel ready, let me know. This lady back seven years ago hadn't been in the house in 13 years. She relocated to help her mother who was sick and then she got sick. Yeah. Well, back in April of this year, uh, I got a phone call from the lady and she identified herself and said, you probably don't remember me. And I said, well, of course I do. And I told her, I said, I don't remember the address, but I, I talked to her about the neighborhood and the house. And she says, wow, I'm very impressed. 
my memory is not that good. So to remember her was really good. <laughs> <laughs> so she told me she was ready to sell. And this was back, in, like I said, in April. I told her I, need, I asked her a couple of questions. And everybody talks about motivated sellers. I don't deal with motivated sellers because they don't fit my criteria. I need highly motivated sellers. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> I need the person that I can ask the question if, if you don't buy from me, if I don't buy from you, what's your next move? And they don't have an answer. That's the gotcha. person I want to talk to. You want their and back up against the wall. Right, right. And bless her heart, she, this lady was having health challenges. She had moved into the D.C. area. It was a block away from the hospital where her doctors were. And it was expensive. And so I asked her a couple of questions. I asked her, you know, was the house paid off? I'd already done my homework and found out that it was. But I asked her anyway, asked her, you know, what needed to be done. And she reiterated that she had not been in the house in now 20 years. <laughs> the entire time. She added another seven years to never seeing it. Right. She hadn't been in there. So I asked her then if she had keys to the house because I'd like to go take a look. She said, no, I don't that she was going to get a locksmith. So one of the things I look at when I'm looking to talk to people about property, I'm trying to identify what their issues are. I'm not trying to buy the property. I'm trying to find out what their issues are and resolve their issues. And if I do it correctly, then I will buy the house. It just works out that way. And so she told me she needed a locksmith. I said, well, I'll tell you what I can do. Save you. I can save you some money. I'll go and I'll change the locks on the house. And if we do business together, then I will incorporate that money in, you know, incorporate that cost into the cost of doing business. And if we don't, then I'll send you an invoice. And she said, okay. So I went over and did that, walked through, took a look. And I said, this really is a good property. It had good structure, good bones, but it hadn't been, no one had been in it in 20 years. So it had issues. And so it was about $100,000 of rehab that needed to be done. So because it was paid off, I made something that nobody hardly does anymore. I made three different offers. Okay. I made an all-cast offer. I made a some now, some later offer, and a partnership offer. And each one was progressively better for her, but I didn't know which one was best for her. I let her make up her mind on that. That was in May when I made the offers. She didn't respond to me again until July. And wow. I said, well, yeah, but I believe in win-win. So I told her that if the market changed when she was ready to accept the offer, then I would make an adjustment to my offer. And I did that. But one thing I don't do is bid against myself. And there's a fine line between the two. So we made an adjustment. She accepted. And she accepted on a Wednesday. And Thursday was traction Rhea. Uh -huh. So, <laughs> I the contract on Wednesday, on, on Thursday, I was actually being spotlighted that night by Traction. But doing deal makers, I pitched it and we got a lot of response. We got within 12 hours, we had five people that had interest. And because we had so much interest, I made a couple phone calls that drum up some more interest. And I got everybody to come to the house on a Saturday at six o'clock. In the evening, and we had so much interest, the people called the police because they didn't know what was going on next door. <laughs> Nobody's been there for 20 years. <laughs> All these cars and trucks and stuff are showing up. But I put together an information sheet that talked about the, well, the first thing, 
was a waiver of, of insurance liability because I didn't want the owner to get in trouble or myself in trouble if somebody should fall. We did that. We had a waiver for everybody to sign. Told everybody, if you're interested in buying the property, what the next steps were on the paper. We even put what the next steps were if we had multiple offers. And in this case, we actually did. And I said, we needed a $5,000 non-refundable deposit. You need to have your bid in by a certain time. We respond. We would tell you if it's a multiple offer and we respond again. And the person who won happened to be a Traction Rear member. And it was just fabulous. I mean, it's a friend of mine. And it just, this actually turned into not a win-win situation. It was a win-win situation because three people from Traction Rear were involved and the seller and everybody got paid. Yeah. So that was my absolute best real estate deal. The dollars per hour, my new hourly rate was just a little under $6,000 an hour. <laughs> so, <laughs> Which is this weird, you know, you know, a good attorney may make 1500 or something like that. And I'd be a good attorney. Now, the thing is, I have to do it again and again and again. So, yeah. Absolutely. So your wholesale fee wound up being? It wound up being 35500 Nice. Yeah. And it was about total six, of about six hours of work. Six hours worth of work. Ooh, yeah. yeah. Even though I met the person on the phone seven years ago. Yeah. That meeting was only about 10 minutes on the phone. Yeah. So total was about six hours of work. Now, it's interesting. Not every deal goes down immediately, but not every deal takes that many years either. There's a little bit in between. That's why you stay in the game. You stay out there, repeat your marketing to people. And when you're friendly, they remember you. Yeah, absolutely. And I learned from a, a guy who was selling windows. He came to my neighborhood and he pitched me up awesome deal just as the pandemic was starting. And I really wanted to take advantage of the deal and get all of my windows done because it was a ridiculously great deal for really good windows. But I, I didn't feel comfortable because the pandemic was starting and people were losing jobs and things like that. And I just didn't know where we were going to be, you know, financially to make a commitment like that, to, to pay that with those windows off. But that guy left and he never called, he never followed up or anything. Because his product was so good, he went someplace else. And I'm sure somebody you know, took advantage of it. So there's times when I may not follow up as fast as I normally would. And the few times that I've done that, I think two of the three times I've not followed up have really panned out. Because I was highly recommended to this person. And when you, you, know, you get a very high recommendation, that goes a long way. Makes all the difference in the world. And David, yeah. were you, I know the timing work that you got on the contract and then you were at an in-person Traction Rear meeting the next night. Were you planning on wholesaling it or were you planning on rehabbing it? Or, you know, did you want to wholesaling it on a whim just to see? So the question for me was, do I buy or do I not buy? And I knew I wanted to do the deal because I could. But then I'm right in the middle of a renovation right now. I'm standing in the kitchen of a new renovation that I'm doing. Gotcha. And I have a deadline that I missed. So we have to, you know, really work hard to get it finished. So we're working diligently on that. Then the seller didn't respond in a timely fashion. So we wanted to be able to do this in June and have it on the market in July. But she didn't come back to me until 
near the end of July or third week of July. So now it's a question of, do I stop the rehab? Do I need to finish and do it? Or do I walk away? But wait a second, there's another option. I can wholesale it. Yes. And I know all about wholesaling, but I had never done it. And so because I knew what I was doing with wholesale, even though I had never done it, I just went ahead and put it all together and, and did it. And it really just worked out. The timing was perfect. Timing couldn't have been better for this at all. Timing was good. I remember you teasing at the time when you pitched this to Tom, I'm going to try something I heard you talking about for a long time, but haven't actually done. Right. <laughs> I'm proud right. of you. That's good. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it's worked out all right. Yeah, things have worked out good. So you're going to wholesale again? Absolutely. As a matter of fact, one of my mentors is Robin Thompson in rehab. And Robin always says that you should try to rehab. I mean, you should try to wholesale a property a month on or before the seventh of the month. Then that way you don't have to worry about your monthly expenses. That'll take care of more than your monthly expenses. And then you have the rest of the month to do what you think you need to be done. So that is a goal. Matter of fact, I put a contract on a property a week and a half ago. And it's that's I don't normally put contracts on properties down in my area or in D.C. because it just costs too much. Okay. So I have my own little mining area that I go to. But this one was a house that I thought was going to be about 400 grand to buy. And I had gone through my steps. I went in and talked to the seller. And again, I found out what the issues were first. And then after I left and saw everything, I left and I constructed my offer based on what she told me. And I gave her a ridiculous cash offer that when I gave it to her, I said, just skip the first offer because I don't want you to start throwing things at me. And I always present my offers in person. I never, ever present an offer over the phone or via email because I need to be able to read the person's eyes and their face. And I want to be able to answer their questions. I want them to see my face and make sure that I'm very sincere in what I'm doing. But yeah, so, you know, we're out making offers and if something hits and I'm not ready to, to move on, I'm wholesaling. Gotcha. Now you're sharing some excellent negotiation techniques and tips along the way and some methods such as like I said being face to face with somebody it makes a difference you're getting a read off of them mm -hmm. you can do it a little bit on the phone with the tone of voice the way they respond how long it takes them to respond but when you're face to face you're right you're reading the facial expressions you're reading what's happening tell me more about that your negotiation style well i learned a long time ago that you talk about mirroring people yeah I know that when I'm sitting in front of somebody, normally it's because they have issues. And so I'm not coming to be the cocky guy that knows everything about real estate. I'm coming to be the understanding person that may be able to put together a solution. And so truly, when I say I'm coming to solve somebody's problem, that's why I'm going. And if I do a good job of developing the resolution process, then most likely, they're going to sign on the dotted line, most likely. And, you know, with this particular wholesale deal, you know, I gave three different offers. The chances of getting a house when you make three offers and they make sense is very high. It's a lot higher than just making one offer because you're probably going to give too much away in, in some of the marketplaces that we're in now. You're probably going to, you know, give too much money away. You're going to take your profit off the table and, and give it to them. And one of the things that 
we have to be careful doing it the way I do it, is not exchanging yourself in the quicksand for the seller. Don't save the seller and get yourself in the same quicksand. That's not the way to do it. We have to be very smart about it. You know, make sure that we understand the numbers and how they're going to run. That's a big temptation for people, David. I mean, everyone wants to help. You want to feel good about what you do as a business. And so you look for these motivated sellers. They're motivated because they have a problem. But instead of solving the problem, people take it on and then they sink. That's what you're saying with the quicksand metaphor. Exactly. And yeah. we're not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> no, you won't last very long. You can do that one time, maybe. And then you go under. And then what good are you after that? Right. I remember your story about being in New York with the sixth apartment building. Yeah. And the challenges you had. So, you know, we all have challenges. I mean, the house I'm in now is my challenge. This is the, if you stay around long enough, you will run into a major challenge. Well, this is mine. But every time I have a challenge, I just smile and do something different and make it happen. <laughs> Interesting. There's a mindset behind that. So what is it? What makes you so what makes you so sure that you're going to solve the problem no matter what? One thing, you know, because I've done a number of rehabs, one thing I know is everything can be fixed. Everything can be fixed. It's a matter of how much money are you willing to spend? I did a rehab a couple of years ago and I walked into the basement and there was a quarter of an inch of water all across the basement. And I'm thinking, oh, deep breath. I said, money, 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 money. <laughs> <laughs> I knew nobody else was going to touch that. Yeah. And I knew it was a drainage problem. So I knew that my plumber can take care of any drainage problem I have. So we made an offer. And it was a ridiculous offer. And they absolutely declined the offer. So I said, okay, well, I'm going to come back with the same offer or maybe a little less in about a month and a half and see what you think about it then. A month and a half, I came back. The offer was just a little bit less. And I said, oh, are we going to still play games or are you going to sell this property? And they sold the property. <laughs> and we turned around and we've been very blessed because when we sell properties, We've always created the highest comp in the area. And it's usually been the first person in the door that's able to buy is putting the contract on the property. So they don't stay on the market very long. How long have you been a Traction Rehab member? How long have you been president? <laughs> 15 years. So I think I became a member either right when you became president or just the year before, somewhere along the thing. Early on. And it was funny. Claude asked me one day, and that's the, our real estate, in-house real estate expert. And he asked me, he says, David, you're doing pretty good right now. Why do you keep coming back to the regular monthly meetings? I said, because Claude, there's something to learn. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I want to know everything. And, uh, you know, if I drive 20 minutes or 30 minutes or whatever, and I learn one little tidbit to put in my quiver, I'm good. But also... I've been able to give back as well. So I've been able to help a couple of traction members. One person made a little over $100,000 in Baltimore, which was really exciting. And I have a couple now friends that are, are mentees of mine that are at Traction. And, you know, we're working it out. We're going to help them make sure they get to, you know, where they want to be. And they're also members of your program as well. And so the great thing is, is that, they're hearing the same thing from you that they heard from me and vice versa. So we're saying the same thing. And they're saying, well, Tom said that. I said, okay. Oh, and said, yeah, you said the same thing Tom said. Well, I don't know if yeah. I picked it up from Tom or 
and I learn it on my own or whatever. But great, great minds think alike, David. <laughs> I would like to think so. <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes people, yeah, need to hear it. They need it reinforced. They need to hear it from a different angle, different person. There's nothing wrong with that. There's a lot out there, and it's hard to, it's sometimes hard to process a whole new realm of possibility, particularly something that is relatively unstructured in a way, like real estate investing. I mean, it's not the same as medicine or engineering or, or science where everything kind of follows a, a clearly defined course. We're more right. all over the map in a way. And that's confusing for a lot of people. It is very confusing. And it's very frustrating when folks don't, it doesn't happen right away for them. So I throw this question back at folks who get disappointed quickly. And it's, well, how long did it take you to prepare for your job? And you're really good at your job. So how long did it take? Did it happen right away? Did you start from kindergarten and go right to your job? And no, it took you 20 years or whatever, 30, 40 years. And now you're an expert at it. Now, I'm not saying it takes that long to become an expert at real estate. But one of the things that I learned about real estate is sometimes you have to just go out on blind faith. People don't feel comfortable with that. And if you're not going to do it the way the people who are successful are doing it, then that means you're going to try to learn it your way. So it's going to take more time. So you need to factor that in. So I try to keep things, you know, in a sense of reality for folks and make them think about what could be if you did what was suggested that you do versus what you're doing and complaining about not having. Why do you think people do that? Well, I think, you know, as we get older, we have our comfort zones and that's our comfort zones. And so if you pull me out of my comfort zone, then, you know, those things that we I talked about earlier, you know, for me, it was a fear of success, but other people may have a fear of, of losing. I remember a gentleman a long time ago, I met at a boot camp, came across a great deal and he passed on the deal because he was afraid that he was going to have two mortgage payments. And I remember in that same boot camp, my wife and I, we put a contract on a house to purchase through subject two. And I had a signed tenant before we even closed on the deal. <laughs> so the person I had to worry about that second mortgage. My thing is, I got to work through this. I don't have time to worry about it. I got to work through it to make sure it happens. So that's, you know, it's a challenge in and of itself, but that's a challenge that I, I gladly accept. Now, it's interesting. You talk about these different boot camps, different trainings you've been to, different speakers you've learned from, and the yeah. fact that 15 years on, you're still attending RIA on a very regular basis. So there's something there and there's some magic to it. But, you know, a lot of people think it's all a big old giant scam and get annoyed by speakers selling something. I mean, what do you say to those people? Everything's a scam until you commit to doing something. So it's really about the individual. You have conspiracy theorists. You have people who have been scammed. You have people who will tell you it can't be done. But I have check stubs. <laughs> so, <laughs> I have some testimonials. So. Proof that they're wrong. Yeah, I mean, you can go by what I think, but then they question that also. So if they're going to, they'll question anything. Some people will just question any and everything. And so you just have to understand that some people are there and they just need a special room so they can take their books and tapes and have shelves so they can put it on and hopefully get 
a maid service to come in and dust it every once in a while. <laughs> and I have a, a CD player right next to me. And while we're working in the house, I have the CD, you know, going right now. I think I have your CD, your three-step find the product, you know, work the deal get, until, you know, get it paid and everything. So that's right. Um, you have an old version of mine. If you're still playing CDs. Yeah, you know how hard it is to get a CD player? <laughs> <laughs> I need one of the, what do you call it, flash drive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I will send you the link. You can have everything on MP3. We're going to modernize you. That or, if you prefer, I could send 8-tracks. 8-tracks. <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't been teaching that long. Yeah, no, that's funny, though. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, let me just throw something out at you, Tom, because you probably wouldn't ask the question. But it's one of the things that constantly stays on my mind. When I did my very largest payoff, I found out that I was going to get hit with a lot of taxes. Yeah. And so, you know, if you do it through your IRA, you know, you may not be paying taxes. If you do it through a 1031 exchange, you may not be paying taxes. But when I found out what my tax liability was going to be, and I found out before the end of the year, I decided you can write a check to the IRS and to the state. You can do that. To me, that's just throwing money away. Or you can write a check to get deductions. That's a lot smarter. Yeah. So when I did this, this big deal that I did, I went ahead and I think I bought two or three programs, several boot camps. You know, you got to travel to go to those boot camps. You have to have lodging. You got food and all that. And a lot of them were in Florida. <laughs> so, you know, it was a nice time to, to get away. And then those are deductions. And so, you know, you've cut down your taxable income tremendously by investing investing in deductions. And so, but nobody really talks about that. And so that's one of the things that I try to share is, you know, do a great deal. You're going to make some money, but you got to make sure you invest in deductions so you don't have to write a big check. It's interesting. So, Rather than throw the money away on taxes, you invest in yourself, basically. Things that, yeah, they cost you money, but it's money you would have lost anyway. But you get something back in return because you're getting training and you're getting ideas and you're getting networking. And and I'm getting a vacation in the process because I'm going to vacation when I go. <laughs> yeah, nothing wrong with that at all. What's the best thing I've taught you? Well, you know, you said something and I said it back when I did this deal in D.C., you used to say, if you want to make $100,000 in a year, you need to sign up for my course. So I didn't sign up for the course at the time because I didn't have you know, the money at the time. You know, sometimes you come and you have money in your pocket and sometimes you don't. When you said that the first time, I wasn't prepared. So it was, I thought about that. I went home and thought about it. And I realized, again, this fear of success, just step off the cliff. You will make it if you step off the cliff. You got to go on blind faith. And so that's what I did. I think we made, well, over 100000 And actually, it's funny. The Redfin just, or Zillow or somebody just popped up on my phone. A house I sold for 303000 back in 2017 is now estimated to be at 430000 which is pretty cool. Because it was the only one that was in the area, and it was in the Deanwood area that was like that. But yeah, so I think that just putting it in my head of making a hundred thousand dollars in a year, 
on this little part-time thing that I was doing, but it was really full-time for me. That was key critical. And then this thing that I don't flinch like you flinch, <laughs> but I do have my version <laughs> of flinching. And uh, a friend of mine offered me a, a property at $200,000. It needed $25,000 of renovation. And he said it would sell for two hundred and forty. And I said, what? <laughs> now, that wasn't the technique. That was the natural response. <laughs> it was a natural flinch. <laughs> because there's no money in that. None at all. I'm, no. I'm coming out of pocket with money. Too tight. Within about 75 seconds, I had him down to $125,000 uh-huh. for that product. But then I knew how I was dealing with also. Because if he asked me for 200000 then he probably bought it for eighty eight. <laughs> I know him. As a matter of fact, he comes to traction now. So I'm not telling you who he is. <laughs> hey, okay. <laughs> if he sees this podcast, he'll know I'm talking about him. <laughs> he'll smile. <laughs> so the that ongoing negotiation sounds like you've made a killing on it from just focusing in on negotiations. Because when you get those kinds of drops from flat out talking to somebody, using some techniques, talking them through it, bringing them down, having a focus and an angle that you're at, is that... Would you say, I know I'm a little biased because this is the art and science of real estate negotiation podcast, but is negotiation one of the most critical skills that you know, one of the most profitable and critical? Yeah, I mean, you need to know how to talk to people. And if you can talk to people and make people relax around you, then they can believe in you. And if they believe in you, then they'll listen to what you have to say. If they're not sure about you, and uh, it's kind of like a, if you go in and they don't get a good vibe from you in the beginning, it takes a lot of work before you can turn around and get them to believe in you a little later on. So the best thing to do is to, from the minute that you meet them, is to be very humble. Again, try to identify, you know, try to allow them to identify their issues. And as look, when I did the wholesale deal. I talked to the lady and she told me what was going on. Oh, no, 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 this is not the wholesale deal. This is the one I just did, the offer that I just did last week. So I walked in and I we talked in just general, just basic, you know, hellos and all that kind of stuff, who I am, what I do. And then I went right into, so why are you selling? And so the, the natural thing is, well, we're going to move or whatever, whatever. So I'm saying, well, well, why are you thinking about moving? And coming to find out her uncle, that was her uncle's house. He fell and broke his hip. He's 96 years old. He's never coming back to that house again. So I asked, well, do you mind me asking you about how much are you paying? Because I was thinking about making the house that I'm in right now an assistant living, residential assistant living. And so she told me she was paying something like thirty-five or 3600 a month, which she thought was really cheap. So when I structured my deal, I did it based on all the things that I had learned. But I also... When I went to look around the property after we had a little five-minute talk in the beginning, I was structuring the deal at that time, even though she didn't get it for another day. So it's very important to have a you know your way, whatever that way may be that works for you, is have your way of being able to talk to people so that the negotiation process starts when you say hi. And it's not over until the closing. Because anything could happen between the beginning and the end, but it starts when you say hi and you shake a hand. So that's really important. 
It starts when you say hi. You got to start pinpointing what's wrong. You start building rapport. You start bringing them through the process of getting the price down somewhere you need it to be. That's right. You make it sound almost easy. So if someone out there is listening and going, oh, well, it's easy for you guys, but it's hard for me. I can't talk to people or I don't know what to say. What advice do you give to the negotiation skeptic? So allow yourself to be taught and then allow yourself to do what you were taught. And don't think through it. Just do it. You know, the Nike key approach, just do it. Allow yourself to be taught and just move forward with what you were taught. That makes such a difference because we sabotage ourselves a lot. And it's because we start thinking about stuff that we have no clue about in reality. All of a sudden, we, like the scammers, the conspiracy theorists, all of a sudden, they're the experts and they've never done anything. So it's kind of crazy. <laughs> so, so, you know, you need to allow yourself to be taught. Find, find somebody who's a good mentor and allow yourself to be taught. It's huge for people. Because I think sometimes it's supposed to be magic or you just call. And the pro- I mean, how many times on the first call is the seller motivated enough to do a deal and say yes immediately? Sometimes <laughs> my sister has a saying, the money is in the follow-up. Yeah. She's a network marketer and she's very good. She says the money's in the follow-up. And she drives me crazy because she really follows up. <laughs> I don't do that to people. <laughs> gotcha. I'm very humble. I will, you know, reach out, check back, but I won't force the issue. You know, like I said, I'm looking for highly motivated people. And when I run into somebody who is not highly motivated, now I may look at it as a wholesale deal, maybe. <laughs> but before what I may have done is go, you know, I don't think this is going to fit, you know, our criteria. So I probably should excuse myself. I don't want to take up more of your time than I need to. And I'll walk away. But you have a lot of folks that will are, I hate to say it, but they're pretty desperate to get a deal. And that's when you get in trouble, when you're desperate for the deal. The desperation shows, or should we say smells? (laughs) Well, it may not smell when you're in front of the owner, but it's going to smell in the car on the way home. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, they'll smell on the way home because, I mean, you know if you're desperate when you go there. Yeah. And I've, I've had opportunities to talk to people, and I really wanted it to work. And so I may have had some of that desperation. But before I get to that door, I have to t- temper it so that I go into my acquisition mode, my resolution mode. I have to find out. I got to ask those questions. It's only three or four questions that I'll ask. And based on that, I'm usually able to to generate some type of an offer if I'm going to make an offer. So as you're shifting modes, do you have a do you have a technique? Do you, you know, I don't know, say a funny line or smile or tug on your earlobe or what? I mean, what is it that shifts you into the correct mode to talk to somebody? I take a deep breath. I go, okay, let's do this. And that's it. (laughs) (laughs) Showtime. That's it. Take a deep breath and it's like, shake it off and let's go do this. And usually I'm well-received. I've run into a couple of people who thought I was a knucklehead and all that kind of stuff. And that's fine. That just tells me they're not part of the profile that I'm looking for. They're not highly motivated. Not motiv- They may be motivated, but they're not highly motivated. motivated. I'm looking for highly motivated. Gotcha. Keeps you happy, keeps the deals better, keeps the profits up, keeps things moving at a pace that you like. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. 
What advice would you give to somebody who is in your shoes, the shoes you were in 15 years ago? What would you tell somebody just getting moving and thinking about it, but not so sure and not quite sure what to do? What do you say to them to get them moving? What do you want out of this? What is your goal? We need to find out what your goal is. And based on that, we can develop a plan for you to move forward. Some people may want some immediate money. So I've told many people about wholesaling, you know, prior to last month or so. And, but they're not willing to do what it takes. So one of the things, and you and I both agree on the concept of marketing. Just let me digress one second. I'll, I always say that marketing is the key to everything that we do. When we get up in the morning, we brush our hair a certain way because we're marketing ourselves to whoever sees us. Now, (laughs) I don't have that problem. (laughs) (laughs) I'm catching up to you. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have that problem with brushing my hair, but, you know, the shirt that I'm wearing is a shirt that I wanted to use as I market myself today. If I'm going to church, I'm wearing a certain suit. That's the way I want to be presented. That day, I'm marking myself. What I say, I'm marking myself. There was a teacher that taught Real Estate 101 when, in my first year of college, and I took the course. And this guy did nothing to teach us real estate. I learned nothing about real estate, nothing. I was so upset <laughs> with a wasted credit hours. And it was only 25 years later that I realized what he was doing gave us candy to sell. He gave us chocolate, popcorns, and all that kind of stuff way back then. It was a long time ago. (laughs) And we got a grade based on what we sold. And then I realized 25 years later, it wasn't about the real estate. It was about the marketing, which is all about the real estate. So it came full circle. And I would like to give him a hug today because I have full understanding, but I had no clue. (laughs) It was the biggest waste of time back then. And I apologize. I don't remember your question. <laughs> that's, that's it. Well, it was about the importance of marketing. And what do you say to somebody that's in your shoes that's afraid to get moving? We, you, you have to, yeah, you have to know what your goal is. And based on your goal, you know what you need to do. So if you need immediate cash, then you want to wholesale. And if you want to develop legacy money, then you want to buy and keep. Sometimes it requires a combination of the two. I had developed a plan about six years ago where I wanted to buy and flip three and keep one. Mm-hmm. Buy and flip three and keep one and build that way. But if you don't have a goal, then you're probably not going to take the time to do what you need to do to make it happen. Because the magnetic pull to the success in the business won't be there if you don't know where you're going to go with it. So develop what is, what is your goal? Develop that goal and then work towards whatever you need to do to work towards getting that goal accomplished. Gotcha. It's interesting. You're mentioning you primarily focus on an exit strategy of rehabbing. Now you've done wholesaling. You're look and you also do buy and hold. And you're also looking to kind of specially buy and hold if it's residential assisted living. So all those different exit strategies, and and David, I, I have a bit of a pet peeve that everyone's obsessed with their exit strategy. Oh, I don't want to do wholesaling because I want to do rehabbing. Don't want to do rehabbing because I want to be a buy and hold landlord. Don't want to do that because I want to do Airbnb. But aren't they all the same at the beginning? Well, yeah. I mean, if you don't have a property, what difference does it make? <laughs> so <laughs> so gotta, the thing you need to focus on at the beginning is? is working on your, your interpersonal skills so that you can negotiate a good deal. If you don't 
get a property. Everybody's worried about what's going to happen when I sign the contract. If you don't have a property, you don't have a, a contract to sign. So, you know, my thought is put yourself in danger's way and then let's figure it out. Don't worry about that stuff that, you know, you're not in position to deal with anyway because you haven't done anything. Or you're doing some things that aren't working out. So we need to fine tune some things and see what the difference is after you fine tune. Find deals first, negotiate them second, then worry about your exit strategy as you head towards that closing. Absolutely. I believe in this concept that if you write a good deal and you don't find good deals, you develop good deals. So if you develop a good deal, you can find the money. I really believe in that 100%. The money will come. And this is one of those things where I tell people to walk on faith. Go out and write a good contract and you'll find out how easy it is for money to come towards you. So in this, this wholesale deal that we did, I wrote a really good contract. And like I said, the seller, I won. The investors win. And Charlie Sykes, clear sky, and he won. So that was a four-win combination, which I'm, I'm real proud of that. Well, there might be more size as well. Neighborhood won. Yes, absolutely. Even the government yeah. won by getting a better tax base, right? I mean, there's some, there's all sorts of wins on these deals. Yeah, so one of the things we have to do is be able to get the government to not tax us as high because, you know, as a rehabber, we are spending our money, our investors' money, to, and we're taking all the risk. They're on the back end with their hands up. So some type of way, we need to be able to reduce the amount of taxes that we have to pay on renovations, even if it is less than a year. One of the many things we work on politically at Traction Rea, trying to get everything better structured for independent real estate investors like us. Yeah, yeah. The gentleman that's up in Hagerstown has done such a phenomenal job. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I love the story. I, I love his success. I'm not envious, but I do love it. <laughs> Mikey Fitzgerald, yeah, I, there's a, you can, listeners can look up a previous episode with Mikey. He's a phenomenal guy. Yeah, absolutely. It's something that people can drive, you know, strive for. 100%. So you've changed everything up, turned your life around with real estate investing, gotten to where you want to be from having a clear vision of where you want to be. Does that pretty much sum up your real estate career? Once I get out of this house, yes. <laughs> gotcha. Oh, yeah, the current property you're doing, yes. <laughs> this is a beautiful home. And I mean, it really is a nice property. I would love to keep it, but it's been challenge after major challenge after major challenge. There was like five or six different extra strategies when I bought the house, you know, and I, I broke the golden rule, never fall in love with the property, uh -oh. always know what your exit strategy is. And I had about six of them. And I, when you have six exit strategies, you don't know how to rehab it. You don't know if you're rehabbing it for sale. That's one thing. If you're rehabbing it for rental, that's something totally different. If you're rehabbing it for what I'm going to say, assistant living. Yeah, You know, that's totally different because you have state requirements and things like that. So the rehab process is going to be totally different for each exit strategy. So when you buy something, know what your exit strategy is before you buy and stick to it. Don't make the mistake that I just made. By loving the property so much, I had so many things that I could do. And then it took me about seven, eight months before I figured out really what I really wanted to do. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. What and, are you doing with it now? You're going to just sell, flat out sell it? I'm going to sell it. Yeah, I'm going to sell it because I have private lenders that funded this deal. 
And actually, this is one of the first deals that I've done that I put a substantial amount of my own money into. So I have to make sure I get everybody's money back and get everybody's return back. And I've been very blessed that so far I've never, ever lost anybody's money. So, and I want to keep that going. Yeah, yeah, a very good goal. <laughs> so, yeah. what, so what caused that? Like, why did it take you so long to decide which of the many exit strategies and why did you fall in love? Well, if you remember, my dad had a bad fall in 2018, hmm. which required him to have 24-7 caregiving. And I was caregiving. I was taking care of his business and I, doing my business as best I could. And then I had a stroke the next year. So I was kind of out of the business for a little bit of time. And so here I come to this house, perfect house, love the house. But, you know, I just had a stroke. So this is the first house I've done since I've had the stroke. So that adds to some of the, the amount of challenges that I've had, even though my mind is still good, but my body's not working near as fast as it used to. So, you know, it's something to overcome. But we just need to, you know, I say we, our business, just needs to make sure that, you know, we stick to our business profile. And if we stick to our business profile, we'll do fine. I'm not so sure that I'm going to re, you know, keep rehabbing because I really did have a lot of fun doing that wholesale deal. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't take that long. So if I did five a year, I'd have a nice income for the year and it would be less than a 40 hour work week. Now, I don't expect it to be like that. That's not realistic, but it. Everything just fell into place. And so you asked the question, or I mentioned earlier that I, you know, I still come back to all the meetings as best I can. Yeah. And I do that, like I said, because I just want to put something special in my quiver so that I would have missed that wholesale deal altogether if I wasn't still a member of Traction. Because if I'm not going to do it, I would just pass and just went on. And I'd already worked the deal, so it didn't make sense to pass on it. So coming to Traction makes it, gives people a lot of information that they can use whether they use it this week, next month, or next year, you know, if they, you know, go ahead and learn the information, I always say make it conversational. If you can make it conversational, you will always remember it. You're asking me questions right now. I don't have anything written in front of me. I'm just talking. We're having a conversation. Exactly. So, totally unscripted. Right. And so that's because, you know, you've done what you've done over the years. I've done what I've done over, over the years. and just sharing experiences, that's all. David, that's a major, major inspiration to people because I hear so many excuses all the time. Well, I can't because of this or I can't because of that. Or, you know, you were saying, many people say, I can't do this now because I have a daughter going to college. But you turned that around and said, I have to do this because I have a daughter going to college. Or I'll mm -hmm. hear, Tom, I can't do this now because I have medical issues. Or I can't do this now because I just had a stroke. You're saying... I'm doing this even more and continuing on because of the stroke. And you're just simply modifying your exit strategy or what you view as your way forward because of that. Yeah, absolutely. I've always been an optimist. More optimism is in my life than pessimism. And it's just really important for me to, if I'm not going to have fun, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> and since my stroke, I know that I don't need to be stressed. And so this house was painted out and, we were getting ready to do the floors over and all that. And the day after Christmas, I got a call from the next door neighbor who was telling me that there was water hitting the back bedroom window. 
And just like I just did, I laughed. And that's what I did when I was at home. I just laughed because I'm an hour and a half away. And I'm looking at, yeah, well, I knew it was a water issue when you called because it was single digits back in December, right after Christmas. And everything else in the house was fine. The heat was on and everything, but the heat cut off because the thermostat had reached the temperature. But when it called for heat again, it didn't turn back on. And so the house got very cold. I think when my plumber got here, I think he said the house was like 28 degrees or so. (laughs) So one of the radiators cracked and flooded half the house. So I just smiled, you know, no stress zone. Just something we got to fix. How are we going to fix it? Are we going to drop the ceiling? Are we going to encapsulate it and put up drywall over top of it? What are we going to do? We got to do something and it has to look good. It has to be done right. And I do everything by code. I do everything correctly. So there's no, you know, somebody is not going to go and find something and go, well, if he did this, if he stepped, you know, sidestepped on this, he probably sidestepped on something else and I'm going to find it. You're not going to find it in one of my properties because I'm looking at the details. I'm a perfectionist, which is probably, well, I'm probably my own biggest pain, but, (laughs) you know, it's very important to make sure the stuff is done correctly. How do you deal with, that's another great topic, because a lot of people are perfectionists and it often slows them down or stops them. They get, they, they get paralyzed by that lack of being able to get things to that pure 100%. How do you deal with that, overcoming that or controlling your perfectionism? Again, it goes back to knowing your exit strategy. I have an uncle who wanted to use high-end doorknobs on his property that he was renting to Section 8. And I said, why are you doing this? He says, well, if you treat people the way you you want to be treated, then they'll do good by you. I said, okay, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> but when they moved out, those doorknobs were gone. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> and I'm knocking Section 8 because my best tenant is a Section 8 tenant. And does a phenomenal job of keeping up the property. But if you know what your exit strategy is, you know what your rehab should look like. And it makes a big difference. You know, when I'm selling something, I'm doing a lot more detailed work than when I'm renting something. But every rental that I have, I would have absolutely no problem moving into it to live because I'm going to make sure that it's good enough for me. So I'm sure it's going to be good enough for someone else. So you're controlling your perfectionism by recognizing is great enough? and modifying it for what the situation is. You're getting as perfect as you can for what the situation is, not some sort of abstract version of perfectness being, you know, you got to over-renovate or over-supply everything. Is is that correct? Absolutely. That's absolutely correct. When I'm selling something, I want it perfect. I mean, I, I want it absolutely perfect. Robin Thompson, the queen of rehab, says she wants wild factors throughout the house. Yeah. I'm the same way because if somebody comes in and says, wow, I got you. It's just like throw the fishing line in the water and just reel them on in. (laughs) (laughs) Say, wow, I know I have you. It's proved to be pretty correct. Kitchens and bathrooms. But everything else has to be look very nice. Then that'd be great, but that has to look very nice. But kitchens and bathrooms have to be special. Gotcha. Take Mm -hmm. the main rooms people are buying on and make sure they're awesome. Yeah, I just had some very nice quartz countertops put in, 39-inch cabinets, 36-inch cabinets, and 
I'm using some colors. I normally try to stay kind of neutral, but I'm using different colors because this house was built in 1935 and they would have used colors back then. So I'm trying to maintain the flavor, if you will, of the property. Some things have gone and I've had to modernize and then some things like medicine cabinets that are in the wall are staying because I want that the character of the, the older yeah. home. Yeah. So I do all my design work. It's all in my head. So it's really funny because my contractors never see my vision. They see what I tell them I want done and they do it. And then they come back and they see it all put together. They say, oh, that's what you yeah, were talking about. That looks good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice good thing for business i got one more thing for you david sure the name of your company i've always liked the name of your company and why you call it that we've had several names and i wanted something that would be catchy enough that people would remember it and so after spending hours in front of the computer checking GoDaddy to make sure that domains are available and all that kind of stuff we landed on the property gym g-y-m and initially, it was where we work things out. And that was my little catchphrase. The property gym where we work things out. You know, you go to the gym, you grab some barbells, and you do your arm work. You work on one of the machines. You get a good workout. And then I just changed it just a little bit more. And so now it's the property gym where we work real estate things out. Because I had a couple people who were trying to get membership in my gym. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. <laughs> so we had to just make a little modification. And yeah, so that's been very good in terms of catchy name, catchy catchphrase, and people remember it. I don't give out as many business cards as I used to. So, and because everybody remembers, you know, the property gym and they reach out by email or they'll call, is this the property gym? And you know, all of that kind of stuff. So we put that name together. We're pretty proud of it. I love it. David Hayes, thank you. Fantastic. Thank you for sharing openly and all your candor. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it, Tom. Thanks for listening. Your next step is to visit TomZeeb.com. There you'll find full show notes for this episode and all past episodes. Make sure you download a free copy of the Deal Flow Maximizer. This free resource will show you the five key marketing elements to get your first five deals. And if you're enjoying this content, share it with a friend and leave us a rating and a review. We'll be sure to read those out on future episodes.